page, is it 742? Um, 742. And I want you to keep some of these stanzas or verses uh, in, in your mind as we consider what we're going to be talking about this morning. So we're going to reference it. We're going to come back to it. So just keep that with you. 742, uh, you know the song, and we'll get to it uh, momentarily. want to say good morning and welcome to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we want to let you know that you are our honored guest and that you're always welcome to this church building whenever the doors are open. My daughters have it memorized. I see them mouthing it. Uh, We're so excited that you're here with us as we collectively worship God together in spirit and in truth. And like we say, if this is your first time visiting with us, you You are special to us, and we think you've come to the right place this morning because I don't think you'll find a finer church in the entire universe. Amen. Amen. Well, we we had a really good time last night at our holiday party. A lot of effort was put into making it so special, so thank you to everybody who played a, uh, a part in making that event special. We had a great turnout, a lot of good food. And uh, Melinda, did you taste her gingerbread cookies? Where is she? They're amazing. Anyway, ate too many. Uh, but, but thank you for coming out and being with us last night. We had a great, great time. So today we're officially in week three of our Advent series, right? And Advent, if this is your first time with us this morning, is a term that means arrival as well as waiting in eager expectation, Okay. Uh, so during this season, we're celebrating the arrival of Jesus, and we're eagerly awaiting his second coming. And that's why we do this thing that we call Advent. So we started off our series in week one with talking about hope, if you can remember that far back, and how Jesus represented hope for the Jewish people who were stuck in captivity and bondage and without hope, right? And then last week, we talked about love and how uh, Jesus came into the world as God's representation of love in the flesh and to show us what love really looks like and how to love one another. And today, in week three of Advent, we're going to be talking about joy. And I believe with all of my heart that Jesus came into the world to give us all joy that is eternal and both everlasting. And and speaking of joy, I've got a story for you. There were two young boys who were spending the night at their grandparents' home for Christmas. And at bedtime, the two boys were saying their prayers when the youngest boy began shouting at the top of his lungs, Dear Lord, I pray for a new bicycle. Dear Lord, I pray for a new iPhone. Dear Lord, I pray for a new puppy. And his older brother leaned over and nudged the younger brother and said, Why are you shouting your prayers? God isn't deaf. He said, I know, but Grandma is. (laughs) Joy. Joy is a great thing, isn't it? Joy is amazing. It's powerful. And we're called to live in joy as disciples of Jesus Christ. So for the rest of our time this morning, let's think about joy. 
and why it's so important to our lives. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to open up to Luke chapter 2. I don't have the entire script uh, or the text on the PowerPoint this morning, but I want to start actually in verse number 4 of Luke chapter 2, and then we'll get to uh, verses 9 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, open up and follow along with us this morning. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse number 4, the story of the arrival of Jesus. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Great joy for all the people. I want to set a little context to this passage as we kind of dive in and and kind of exegete a couple of things. I want to give us some historical background of what's going on as we read this story. So if we look up at the beginning of the chapter, uh, there's a couple of things that we need to know as as we consider this. First of all, Caesar Augustus was the head of the Roman Empire, right? And uh, he was the supreme being in the world at the time. So everyone throughout that region or the world as they knew it were under the authority and and lordship, if you will, of Caesar Augustus, if you are part of the the Roman Empire. And this guy was, how do I say it? He was a big-headed guy, if you will. And he heard, he heard through the grapevine, I would sing that, but he heard through the grapevine that this baby was going to come and this baby was going to be greater and more important than him, right? So he heard this news and automatically he had a problem. How is some child going to come and people are thinking this baby is, is super special and, and better than me? So he had a lot to say about this, right? One of the things that was going on during this time is that uh, Caesar Augustus decided to do a census. And the reason for the census was to figure out everybody who belonged to the Roman Empire, numbers-wise, for the purpose of making money. Because what they would do is they would tax the people based upon how many people are in the home and who's working, so forth and so on. So this was a big deal during this time period, right? And even back then, people didn't like paying taxes, okay? So this this was not an enjoyable time for anyone, really, at this point. And then Joseph and Mary entered into the picture, and a lot of stuff was going on with them at this point, if you think about it. Uh, Commentators state that Mary and Joseph were probably teenagers at the time of uh, Jesus' birth. And I don't know how many of you here this morning 
uh, were a teenage teenager when you had children or you have a family member that is a teenager and has a child, but you know that's a lot. That's rough. That's difficult, right? On top of being super young and having a baby, they didn't have much money. They were broke, right? They were poor, and they were having a baby, and they were about to get married on top of that. And for those of you who are married, you remember the time of engagement, right? There was a lot of drama going on during that time, right? Parents had to meet. It was a little awkward, right? You had to plan the wedding and how much money you were going to spend. So th this was probably in the, in the minds of Joseph and Mary at this point. So it was a high-stress time. And on top of that, she was pregnant out of wedlock, right? All the stress, right? All these difficulties. So they go in to go be a part of this census, and they're there, and guess what? She goes into labor. And, you know, they were going to check into the Hilton or the W or the Holiday Inn, the W, right? And then went to go check in. No rooms available, right? And she's going into birth. So they didn't have a place, so they decided to take this beautiful baby and place it in a dirty animal manger. And I wonder at that moment when they saw the look in their baby's eyes, I wonder if all their stress, all their worry, all their financial issues disappeared. That's typically what happens when you have a baby, right? No. <laughs> when you go into the hospital and you finally get to hold the child, there's something about that baby that silences out everything, right? At least for the mama, because the daddy's thinking, ooh, boy, no. But for a moment, they experience great, great joy because of the birth of the baby. And what's so exciting is that because of the birth of Jesus, not only were they going to experience great joy, but all of humanity now was going to experience great, great joy. Psalm chapter 94, verses 17 through 19. And by the way, this week, Bo, just for you, we have a sermon outline. I'm just we have a sermon outline and we put it in the bulletin. Uh, so feel free to pull it out and follow along with us. We've got some of our uh, scriptures highlighted in red for your learning. Psalm chapter 94, verses 17 through 19 says this, unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, my foot is sleep, slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me, brought me joy. Powerful text. And why is this text important? Well, the psalmist at this point was really in a tough spot because he was thinking about what was going on in society at the moment. During this time, society was... was had run amok, right? There were issues. People were disobedient to God. The government was unfaithful. They were treating uh, the poor, the widows, and the orphans with, with, with contempt. People were robbing each other. They were lying. They were murdering. It was, it was a lot of stuff going on in society at this moment when this psalmist wrote this, this text. And the psalmist lived in a time where, where the government engaged in the promotion of evil and persecution of the righteous. The wicked arrogantly furthered their own interest at the expense of those who were defenseless, so forth and so on. I could spend a lot of time talking about that. And then the psalmist says something. In the midst of all of this, what do I do, right? And we're living in really weird times right now. 
really, really strange times in society. A lot of people say our society is going down the drain, right? That's what some people say. Some people say our government is corrupt, the way they treat people, these laws, these, this, that, and the other. What we see in the media and on television, the world is just really, really messed up. And Christians are up against a, a, a very tough battle, right? If you try to live out your faith in the world today. And then we see, we see this, this amazing text uh, from this psalmist. He was in a moment in his life where he was discouraged and he was heartbroken by the evil in the world and he needed consolation or comfort in difficulties that would lead to joy, right? Even in the midst of all the terrible stuff that was going on, he realized that he could have joy. So I want to talk about that this morning, and if you look on your outline, we're going to be talking about three principles, or principles, or facts, if you will, that we need to know about joy, okay, that will help us really kind of flesh out and understand this text, how the psalmist could have joy through consolation in the midst of everything that was going on that was terrible uh, in life. So give me a few moments of your time, and I want to leave you with a couple of facts uh, that'll help flesh out what's going on here. The first fact is this, and many of you know this already. Uh, it's not up on the screen, so, so listen closely. This is point number one. This is fact number one. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Write that down. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And you guys know this. We sing this song all the time. The kids know this. We all know this. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, by definition, if you ever look up the word joy and try to figure out what it means, it says it's a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. And if you notice, if you heard any sermons on joy lately, a lot of preachers, they'll say and from the pulpit, and I think I've even said this once or time, uh, that, that joy and happiness are not the same thing, right? And we come up with this theological argument on why they're not the same and how different they are, but really... When you carefully examine the scripture, you find out that joy and happiness are very much interconnected. They're very much interconnected. They're not just some extreme uh, kind of principles, but they're connected and tied into one another. And what we understand about joy is the more that you're connected to God, the more joy you should have in your life. That's what we can say about joy. If you're connected to God, if you're close to Him, that joy should be automatically be a part of your existence, right? And this joy, it comes from an internal understanding of the eternal God, right? So joy should be present. Joy is a powerful healing agent. I'm going to talk about my dog again, so here we go, right? So our dog passed away. And I had to write my father-in-law, because my father-in-law has owned pets his entire life. This is the first dog that I ever had, and the girls were mourning. I mean, and I might have even mourned more than the girls, right? I had an ugly cry, right? I was driving home, I put her down, I had an ugly cry. I had a moment, right? So I wrote my father-in-law, and I said, what should we do to get over this grief and this pain and this mourning? He said, you get another dog, right? So the girls were crying so much that I might have said to them, don't worry, we'll get another dog. Not thinking, but now they want a dog, right? And they don't want a little foo-foo dog, a Yorkie. They want an English Mastiff, right? 
So I'm on the hook now for an English Mastiff, and I've got to get it before Christmas, right? But what's amazing to me, in the time of their grief and distress and their being upset, it was the joy that helped them get through it, right? The joy of something that was coming, right? Joy is a powerful healing agent. No matter what you're going through, if you can learn to have joy, you can get through it. You can get through it. So that's point number one. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. And the way you gain that joy is by being connected to God, right? Point number two. This is an interesting one. This is a tough one, right? Joy is a commandment. That's right. Joy is a commandment. You may be saying, what? Well, let's turn here. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 19. It says this. this Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Now, many of you may be saying, Jason, you're, you're oversimplifying this, right? It can't be a commandment. But just bear with me. I believe joy is a commandment. And I love the word rejoice. If you ever look up that word and, and try to figure out what it means, rejoice means to show great happiness, Rejoice, to show great happiness. So the scripture says, show great happiness or joy all the time. We're commanded to illustrate joys to other, joy to others. And joy is infectious. And what I do know about joy is that there are always joy stealers all around us every single day. There are people that want to steal your joy. I was up in uh, Palos Verdes uh, last week. And there's this place that I love to go. There's a subway that's right on the ocean. So you can sit outside and have your subway sandwich. Thank you, Lauren, by the way. Have your subway sandwich and watch the whales go by and eat your subway, right? That's the best subway in all of Southern California. So I went up there, and uh, about lunchtime, you know when people get that hunger in them, people start getting a little testy and a little grumpy. I've never seen so many grumpy people in my life than that subway, okay? So there was a lady that walked up the subway. She was in behind me, right? And I turned around and I said, hi, and she didn't even speak. So I knew something was going to go on, right? She had this scowl on her face, and she had her hand like this. She was, <laughs> right? And she walked in the subway behind me, and I turned and smiled again. She didn't even look at me. I ordered my uh, Subway Club on flatbread, amen. It's the best sandwich. And then she ordered her sandwich, and I was being nosy. Sorry, I was being nosy, right? Because she looked so grumpy, and she said to the lady, who was really nice, young lady who came in, she greeted everybody, welcome to Subway, can I take your order, right? So she said that to this lady, welcome to Subway, can I take your order? And this lady said, give me a meatball sandwich, and don't put that much sauce on it. And she said it so, in such a mean, grumpy way, and I was watching the, the, the Subway maker, the sandwich maker, and she didn't say anything, and she got out the Subway and started loading it up, and then the lady said, did you hear what I said? And I said, oh, no, she didn't. Oh, no, she didn't, right? And I saw the countenance of this Subway sandwich maker, her face just fall down, right? I was so embarrassed and I was so upset that this lady projected onto her and just really stole her joy in that moment, right? Stole her joy. So I got back around in line, right? And I said, you're doing an amazing job. You keep up the good work. Sometimes people are just grumpy. And she said, well, thank you, right? <laughs> right? 
I say that to say this, there are joy stealers everywhere. They're strategically placed. They're like booby traps, right? People are trying to steal your joy. And what we realize from this text is that joy is a commandment. So we've got to figure out how to keep our joy in the midst of being surrounded by joy stealers. If Satan can steal your joy, he wins every single time, right? So we've got to make sure to remember this, that joy is a commandment. We've got to be diligent. Keep it, keep it going. Keep it going. Then lastly is this, point number three. Joy is a decision. Joy is a decision. Write that down. That's point number three. Joy is a decision. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 10 says this. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Write that down. Maybe this was your experience. When I was younger, a young boy, I used to get myself into a little trouble from time to time, right? And the way I was corrected by my parents was through corporal punishment, right? And I used to have to go pick the instrument of my choice for my uh, corporal punishment, right? So we used to get uh, switches. I'm from the South, right? So my dad would say, go outside and pick a switch, right? And strategically, you would go out and get the flimsiest, smallest piece of grass, right? So, so it wouldn't hurt you, <laughs> right? Or you get a big giant stick knowing that they couldn't do anything with it, right? Uh, but I got corporal punishment growing up. And one of the things that I used to do as a young boy is when I knew I was going to get a spanking, I would start crying, right? Ooh, already, right? And you know what my dad used to say to me all the time? Stop that crying before I give you something to cry. Oh, you guys know that. I'm so impressed, right? And, and, and I used to think about that strategically when he would say that to me. How can I stop crying? You're about to give me a whooping, right? I can't control that, right? But it's so interesting because what I, <laughs> what I learned is that as you mature, you learn to give your emotions permission, Right? He used to say that, stop that crying, I can't do that, right? But as you mature, you learn that your emotions can't be in control of you all the time. You've got to learn to control them, right? And you give your emotions permission, right? So what do I mean by that? Um, I, I, I think throughout Scripture, the Bible tells us to be self-controlled, the Bible tells us that joy is a commandment. The Bible tells us that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. That's strategic because the power is in here, right? The power is in here. So when we're in tough and difficult situations, we can say in here, you know what? I'm still going to experience joy and live in joy. Even though my emotions, I don't feel like it right now, we're going to make this thing happen. And that takes strength spiritually. You got to be strong and tough to be able to do that. God says, live in joy. It's a commandment. Live in joy no matter what's in front of you. Live in joy no matter the circumstance or situation you find yourself in. Live in joy no matter the outcome. Live in joy. Joy is a decision. And I hope this morning you're saying to yourself, I'm choosing to live in joy. No matter what's going on in my life right now, I'm making a decision to live in joy. So I've got a... a a couple of practical applications that I want to leave you with this morning. On your sermon outline, it says, great sermon, now what? I've got three things that I want you to work on this week. 
and then the message will be yours. Let's close with Romans chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, this morning, I want you to leave this place filled with joy, in so much that it overflows to the world. And that's what worship is for. We come together to give God the glory and to encourage one another to live in such a way that we make impacts on the world. And the greatest tool that we can use, one of the greatest tools, is the tool of joy. So, so practical application. First of all, how do we get this joy? How do we get this joy? How do we get filled up to the point of overflowing? I got to say this, and this is so, so important. You got to be in the Word, church. You got to be in the Word. You got to study the Scripture. You got to be in it daily. If you want to be filled up with joy, you got to be in the Word. And I know, I, I know how it is. We get busy. We, we, we have this idea that we want to read through. We, and we get busy and we realize that our spirit is starting to be depleted. Our battery is being drained and we just can't figure out what's going on in life. And we look back and we say, you know what? I just haven't been in the Word. In order to be filled up with joy, the Scripture says we've got to be, we've got to be in the Word. We, so my challenge to you this week is I hope and pray that starting today, you'll read some scripture every day this week. Even if it's just a little bit, even if it's just on your Bible app, listening to it in the car, I, I would just encourage you to get some scripture in you this week, right? And see what that doesn't do to your joy level, right? So that's one challenge. Please read some scripture every day this week. Here's another one that's tough. When persecution and opposition comes your way, I want you to thank the Lord, rejoice, and be glad. Why? Because the Scripture said they did that to Jesus. And if they did that to Jesus, and they do that to you, it means you'll be blessed. That's what Scripture says. They persecuted people before, and, and rejoice when that happens. That's a tough one now. And that's why I say joy is a decision. So this week... It's going to get a little testy for some of you, some of you not. It was testy for me already because the uh, Raiders lost to the Chiefs. You should have seen it, all the text messages I got, right? Stop it. Stop it, Hal. Repent now. Stop it. See, 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 see how it is? Whatever the case is, in persecutions, in insults, in difficulties, when people attack you, what you do is you rejoice. You rejoice and say, I must be doing something right then. I must be doing something right. And then lastly, here's what I want you to do. In order to gain more joy and to illustrate it this week, I want you to count your many blessings. That's what I do, right? When life is tough, just think about all the good things God has done for you and all the blessings you have in life, and it will surprise you. So now, guess what? Open up your songbook. It's 742. Like I said, I'm not leading a song, but I want to read the first verse and read it together. We'll end with this, 742. You know, we call this song, Count Your Many Blessings, right? So I couldn't find it. 
But the real title is, When Upon Life Billows, right? Verse number one goes like this. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. This morning, we've got a song of invitation selected. If there is anyone here that needs to respond to the message, we give you the opportunity to do that this morning. You can come forward. The church will pray with you and pray for you to encourage you, to build you up. Maybe this morning you want to become a Christian. The baptistry is ready. You can be baptized in water and added to the kingdom. Uh, We'd be happy uh, to join you and encourage you and build you up as you start on this new journey of a new life in Jesus Christ. Whatever your needs or concerns are, won't you come together while we stand and sing the song.